Welcome to Toothpaste, the podcast, the other side of dentistry. There are two sides to our great profession. On one side, we have financial independence and personal fulfillment. On the other side, we have financial hardship, depression, and burnout. Why do some dentists thrive in this profession and others struggle to get out of bed in the morning? That is exactly what we are trying to find out. We don't claim to have all the answers, but we talk to some really smart people that can give you some insights on how to thrive in dentistry and life. Thank you for listening. And now for our hosts, Dr. Jessica Gall and Dr. Vincent Buscemi. I think his drug use is funnier than the whole movie. It's with Leonardo DiCaprio, right? I think any movie Leonardo DiCaprio is in is good. Okay. It is, yeah. Yeah. He's kind of like... He's kind of still like a boy to me, though. It's yeah, weird. Yeah, never married, no kids. Yeah, he just he just looks young. Like even as he's getting older, it's like a young. I don't know it's weird. It's weird to age gracefully. It's like a young old person. I'm with the opposite. <laughs> I'm aging like Benjamin Button. No, that's actually um, would be good. Okay. Anyway, um, episode thirty-five or thirty-six. I think thirty-six. I never know. Yeah, we're doing so many of these. I know. We're just I'm super out. excited for today. Me too. Um. I can probably say this is my financial advisor. Um, last week, I gave Chris my final twelve dollars, and he has <laughs> turned it into thirteen. So, nice. <laughs> so Chris Nemus. That's fantastic. Am I saying that right? That's right. Okay. Um, tell us about your firm. Introduce yourself. Yeah. So, you know, taking it all the way back to where I come from is uh, Novi, Michigan. So a little bit west of here. And I uh, grew up in, in Novi. I'm one of three brothers, so I'm the, the infamous middle child right. of the family. And that has actually ended up being a, a huge benefit to me because I think it's made me uh, a competitor in a lot of different things. And so growing up, um, I went to you know, Detroit Catholic Central High School. I played uh, lacrosse and football. Was blessed to get a uh, scholarship to continue my lacrosse career at awesome. the University of Detroit Mercy, which uh, was an amazing time. I also got a degree in accounting there and then an MBA while I was studying for my You have CBA. an MBA too? I do have I an MBA. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, right. absolutely. So you need 150 credit hours to get your CPA license. So coming out, I had the choice of taking classes that would be probably less valuable or taking classes that would benefit me in the future. So I said, I'm going to get the MBA. So I finished my four years of undergrad and three and a half years. And then I did the two year MBA in one and a half years. So it ended up being five years in total for how many, for, for six, for six years? years of school. Yep. Wow. I did five years of undergrad for four years of education. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's very impressive. So what were the less useful classes that you could have taken? Uh, just any getting a minor in, English, philosophy, something that well, I could have just tossed into. Studies. Yeah, yeah. St- stuff like that. Yeah, yeah ex- anything with studies that, uh, that it ends in studies you could have gotten as a, as a non-value. You have a class. minor in gender studies, right, Jessica? No. no. <laughs> you never went to college? No. No. I'm self-taught. self-taught. I'm a self-taught yeah. dentist so and, then re- and realtor. <laughs> I know this, that you practiced as a CPA. I did. And you had insane hours. I did, yeah. So the first four years of my career I spent at Deloitte, which is the biggest accounting firm in the world. And and I focused on private equity firms and hedge funds uh, on the tax and technology side. So what that means is that effectively a, a private equity 
company is built up of partnerships that invest mm -hmm. in different areas. So it could be biotech, it could be technology, it could be dental practices. Now it's de definitely dental, mm -hmm. veterinary, they're all over the place. And so yep. what we had to do is make sense of all that for the ownership team at these private equity companies. Where's the money coming from? What do I have to owe in tax? What's causing that? You know, which team is performing the best as far as determining their compensation, their payout, et cetera. So that's been an industry that's grown substantially in the last two decades and, and specifically since 2010. So I started my first internship at Deloitte when I, it was 2011 and there was way more work than there was people. So yeah, I ended up charging about 3000 client hours per year. So that just means that's 3000 hours of working on client material only exclusive of the continuing education and administrative items and training new team members. So yeah, for four years there, it was, uh, so how many hours a week is that? I was normally putting in at least 65 to 70 hours a week. In the office? Did you have to go in yeah, at that and, time? Yeah, and okay. a lot of travel too. So I spent a lot of time in Houston, New York, Chicago, and they became almost like a second home. I wasn't married and I didn't have kids at the time. Okay. So for me, it was super interesting. It was very exciting. And, and frankly, a lot of what I do now from a management standpoint, I take from those people that I worked for at Deloitte. And I've been blessed actually to have a few of them become clients okay. since then wow. too. Yeah. So it's, yeah, very formative four years of my career. How much client facing did you do in those years? Direct to the clients, not much okay. actually. So at, at, the t at the top public accounting firms, it's really the partnership group that meets with the clients. So they get marching orders from the clients about what they want, and they pass that down through a structure. And so starting out, I was at the bottom of that and eventually moved my way on up to managing the different people that were on the team. But I would say directly facing with the clients was, you know, maybe three to five percent of the time. And the rest of it was just getting that work done. So it was a oh, lot wow. of internal Behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I bring it up. And Jessica said this when you were back there. Um, you have a great personality and I think it would be difficult for your personality to shine through if it's only three to 5% client facing. Mm -hmm. I think your position now, the reason why I chose you, I have no idea how you deal with stocks. I don't know if you're good, but I, the reason I chose you is because you have a great personality. So I think you're in the perfect field now to be successful. Well, thank you for saying that. First yeah. of all, and, and that is the reason I left. I was in Houston. It was a, one of those weeks where we would get into the office and the way that they'd set it up too is that they would bring in breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So they made it so you would never leave during wow. the day. You'd get in at seven o'clock and you would stay until nine thirty, ten o'clock. So you 11. lived in Houston. Yeah. So effectively we lived in the office. Okay. So that's pretty isolating. We were, oh, incredibly. Yeah. It was a it was a room like this, but imagine three more people in here with the smell of Mexican food okay. and, uh, yeah. and Greek food. So it was the work was rewarding, but I didn't interface with my clients. Yeah. And that was a huge issue for me. So I wanted to be into something that was directly client facing. And and today, if I look at, you know, having a great day, for me that means having some good long meetings with three or four clients where I'm with them for two hours. Yeah. And I'm speaking with them face to face and we're solving issues that matter and impact them directly. There's no middleman between me and the people that I help 
And that was, of all the reasons, that was the biggest that I decided to get into right. wealth management. Too impersonal. Yeah. Then. Right. Some people right. run towards that. Like I'm client facing, you're client facing, mm-hmm. your client. Some people run away from that. They'd rather be behind 10 layers of bureaucracy and yeah. not see who they're dealing with. Well, some people just don't like to interact with other people. It's yeah. just, you know, they, I mean, I think about my sister-in-law, she develops drugs for a living and she works in a lab and she loves doing that. Um, could she be a, medical doctor yeah for sure but she's like no i don't want to deal with people yeah that closely i mean sometimes i get it though sometimes it's like i like to hide my office and just do work don't you yeah no but i do like i do like interacting with people also yeah so my my weekend work is catching up on what happened during the week so i like to go into the office on saturday mornings and spend at least a few hours in there catching up on on what i missed so that's my time where nobody distracts me I'm just in there. We'll have the nanny come over and and help Lisa with the kids, and I'll just go in and do that. So that's I like to do that on the weekend. During the week, I like to set up my time, and I, I actually wrote a little manifesto a while back about how I want my days to be structured. Can you tell us about and, that? Yeah, absolutely. It's it was inspired by Jerry Maguire. Okay. So okay. if you if you've seen when he wrote about giving you know, his clients better service. It's not all about the money. It's more about helping people accomplish their goals. I wrote one on my own. And, and effectively, what I said is that, you know, there's there's a lot of potential in my business to, to get tied up in the administrative stuff. So, you know, making trades, if, mm-hmm. if there's an administrative person on the team that can make the trades for you, and you can just direct them to do it, then you don't have to spend, you know, 15 to 20 minutes making a full trade in, a, in an account. Um, when you look at different aspects of our job. There's regulators from the SEC. There's regulators from FINRA. These are all groups that watch everything that you do like a hawk. And so there's compliance, there's continuing education, and that's all important. But I leave that to the later or early hours or the weekend because I want my time. My manifesto is all about spending as much time as I can in front of clients or in front of prospective clients because that's the true value that I bring is helping them solve their issues in a way that they can understand. And I can take a complex issue like a a portfolio and explain it to somebody very easily. I can take financial planning and explain it to them very easily. And the difference that we make as advisors is helping people become financially independent no matter where they are right now. So as business owners, which, you know, we help dentists, physician specialists and business owners, we'll go in and say, okay, you've got this business that you're working on, which has income, it's got expenses, it's got assets, and it's got liabilities. And you focus a lot of your time, just like you here. Your practice means a lot to you, how it runs. You have to take that same level of focus, and we help our clients do this, and apply it to your personal life. Because in your personal life, you have income, Mm -hmm. which is generated by your business. You've got expenses, college, vacations, mortgages, right? You've got assets, which are hopefully appreciating assets and and good types of assets like cash and stocks and real estate. Um, And then you've also got liabilities like your mortgage and maybe there's credit card debt or maybe there's personal loans. And so when I can sit in front of a client, getting back to the the manifesto and, and why I wrote it, I can take that focus for them and shine a spotlight on their personal lives because they focus so much of their time on their business their patients, their clients, their customers, that I can, you know, direct that onto something that's going to make and 
a huge impact in their financial independence. So that's what it's all about. It's just a, it's a quick one pager, but that's effectively what it says is that there's, there's things that don't really matter that I could spend my time on. And then there's things that are going to make a difference in people's life that I can spend my time on. Yeah. And so I'm going to be, you know, very intent on making sure it's the stuff that, that does matter. Would you be willing to share that with us? Like email to me? Yeah. Like a post in the show notes? Yeah. Okay. I will. That'd be awesome. That's so true. And you do the same thing. You're yeah. all about client facing, uh, patient facing. Mm-hmm. So one of the main reasons I picked Chris to be my financial advisor is that he said, let's meet quarterly and go over yeah. all your financial goals. My last financial advisor, great guy, um, good firm. I met with him once every two years. The fact that me and you are going to sit down and review my goals I felt like, oh my gosh, this guy actually cares if I make more money. And I could sh- see that now hearing you talk, that that's your main focus. Yeah. And the, yeah. the quarterly aspect of it too is important because there's so much that can happen in a quarter. And sometimes I'll meet with a, a client for the next quarterly meeting and go, I can't believe that it's already been three months since you and I have sat down because there's been so much that's changed in the world. You look at what's happening right now, interest rates are going up right? So people that are looking to borrow money, it's more difficult and it's more expensive. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got inflation that's rising, that's impacting people's expenses, right? You've got income levels that are constantly changing. Right now is a a great time to be a dentist. It's a great time to be a physician. There's steady growing income that's coming out of the practices. Um, And so for me to be able to sit down with somebody on a quarterly basis and remind them of all the discipline that they need to have on the personal side of things, walk through, hey, where did we start? Where were we at last meeting? Where are we now? And what do we need to do from here? It, it gives a much better client experience than some advisors that just maybe they'll meet with you annually. Maybe they'll never meet with you. Maybe you'll just get a newsletter from their firm. And to me, that's just not rewarding. It, it actually gives me anxiety if I look at my client mm-hmm. list and there's one where I've sent a, a meeting request and we haven't been able to put something on and it's been, you know, five months. Yeah. That's something where I'm like, okay, we have to get this person on the books. I have to meet with them because there's there, it makes a difference. And I think for me too, that's resulted in, you know, from a, a personal business growth standpoint, lots of referrals, lots of really good referrals. And, and that's the biggest compliment I can get is somebody saying, Hey, you've done such a great job for me. I'm going to send my, dentist friend to you. I'm going to send mm-hmm. my business owner friend to you, my, you know, specialist physician friend to you. Um, and the most referrals I get are after these, you know, quarterly meetings. Yeah, I'm sure it's like an exponential curve. The more people you see, the more going to refer back to you. Absolutely. Don't you think that people, I mean, I find in my business that people, people want to be listened to. That's the first thing. And, and I always want to address, you know, as a dentist, I think, what's your chief complaint? You know, that's how I think someone comes in for an emergency. It's like, what's the, what's bothering them? Cause it might not be the thing that's, that's bothering me or, but it's like, you know, so from a financial planner standpoint, like Vince has different goals than I do. My, my goals are to go on vacation as much as I can. You know, I don't mind to pay my mortgage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> buy food. Yeah. I don't care about food. I just want to travel, but it's like, so getting to know the person and what their goals are. That's so important to what you do, I feel like. It is. And that's why even within these niches that I do have, every situation kind of rhymes in a way, right? Like 
people own their practice or they're a partner in a practice or they own their business. And, and so they have a large concentration of an equity position. But all of those people are aged differently. Some are married, some are unmarried, some have five kids, some have zero kids. Some want to spend all their money during their lifetime. Yeah. Some don't want to spend ne- nearly Any, anything, anything and they want to leave it all to their kids. And so as long as that foundational information is within those niches roughly equivalent, then it helps me be able to say to Vince, well, yeah, I've seen your situation, you know, 25 times in the last three months. You're $12. You know, you're, I'm, I'm, you're, not, I'm not special. You're saying you I'm have, not your... <laughs> do you have $36? Three no, months? I said you guys were 13. <laughs> um, so I heard a stat that only 3% of dentists, when they retire, had the same level of lifestyle than when they were working. Mm-hmm. Do you find it to be true that dentists are bad with money? I think if they don't have a good team around them, then yes, absolutely. That okay. is the case. And doctors too? Just I think with yeah, with doctors, doctors and dentists, the thing that I really love actually is that they're they're interested in money and investing and knowing more, which is not always the case for okay. a lot of cl- a lot of clients. Um, if they have enough going on and they're in a manufacturing business or an engineering business, they just don't want to know anything. They're like, but, just do it. So yeah. they, so they have an interest in it, but I would say, yeah, there's, if you don't have a plan in place, which is one thing I always love to say is, is abandon the no plan lifestyle. Okay. Like you're just, all of a sudden you make 20% more revenue coming out of the practice and you're spending 30% more at home, right? That's a really bad thing. So are dentists and doctors big spenders? I would say they are. Okay. Yeah. Generally they are. And I think that's fine. As long as they're saving a 30% or more percentage of their gross income. So is gross before taxes or after? That's before taxes. Okay. Yeah. So So 30%. So I make a million dollars a year. So you're saying 30% (laughs) should go right into, to you or into a saving account. Yeah. So if somebody makes a million dollars for the year and they'll have access to maybe a 401k, if it's a dual income situation, maybe their husband or wife has a 401k. So that will eat up $40,000 of their goal. But that means they still have 260000 to go on the savings, which they need to invest and have as a long-term assets. Because if you make a million dollars, you have to save $300,000. It's, it's just the way that you have to do it. Because 30 to 40% of it, especially if you're a business owner, 40% will go to tax. So, okay. so take that off the board. So you're left with 600,000. 600, okay. So with that, you've now got $600,000 in, in 12 months. So if you're spending $600,000 a year and that's just going into boats and cars and uh, whatever's at the mall, then you're going to have a serious issue because you'll be one of these you know, large percentage of dentists that can't live that same lifestyle in retirement because every dollar that came in, you're always spending. So by doing it, in terms of uh, roughly one third goes to tax, one third goes to your spending, and the mm-hmm. other third has to go to your saving, then, and really on an after tax basis, you're saving half of every bit of cash that comes in. Okay. And that allows you to build financial independence very early. And so when you are 45 or 50 or 55, you can make a decision of, hey, I wanna keep you know, sitting at the chair, I wanna still see patients. I want to do this and you'll have the opportunity if you want to make that happen. But if you want to get into something else, then you'll also have that opportunity because you were smart while you were making all that money when you were young 
and you're not somebody who waited until 50 to say, oh, now I have to save nearly 100% of what comes right. in after tax and take a reduced lifestyle because nobody wants a reduced lifestyle. If anything, you want to increase lifestyle, like reward yourself. I for feel, I feel like the, the, um, what you just said, you should um, give that speech to fourth-year dental students. I'm kind of having Don't a panic you? attack right now. Yeah, because I have not been doing that. Um, that been, <laughs> if I would have met you have Chris to, you 10 have years ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but 10 years ago, you were like in the third grade. Uh, <laughs> Ted, yeah, 10 years ago, I would have been, yeah, just wrapping up the MBA. Yeah, I wasn't practicing. We need to get you in front of young dentists like, yeah. who listen to this podcast because that's such good advice. So I do the Dave Ramsey seven steps to be in a millionaire, and he says 10 to 15% post-tax. Is that roughly equivalent to 30% pre-tax? Uh, I would say it's, it's probably a little bit less, less. Okay. I would say it's less, um, because in the way that I always present this is on a a single page document. And we just start with what does the family earn per year? Pretty simple. You can add it up based on that. What are the projected taxes going to be? So this is where my CPA background comes in handy. I can pretty, I can pretty easily tell somebody within a few percentage points of what their effective tax rate will be. After that, I get the what's the cash that's going to be available to the family, right? What are they spending that's coming off of that cash and what's left over? If what's left over isn't getting them to 30% or more of, of savings, then they have to look at their spending and say, okay, I can either adjust my spending downward, I can make more money so that I have more coming in, but I have to make a change one way or another because... I've seen some monthly spending figures that are just absolutely insane. Could you give 50, us a rough estimate? Fifty, sixty thousand dollars a month. These are dentists in, in spending. Uh, these would be executives and business owners, but dentist-wise, normally it's not that high. I would say on average, people are around ten to fifteen thousand a month in spending if they have a family. Um, but yeah, I see them fairly regularly at twenty-five, thirty, thirty-five thousand. Oh my God. Um, a month, which is which is a lot. So mm-hmm. if you're doing that, that's fine. As long as you're hitting your you're making thirty percent. Yeah, absolutely. You have at it. As Are you long saving thirty percent of your income? Is that too personal? To I I set aside thirty percent for taxes. Okay. Um, I've been doing that. I mean, since I started this business, but but I don't. Um, I'm not saving thirty percent yet because I'm I'm still building. I don't. I just don't mm-hmm. have that income. But I do probably ten percent. Yeah. I hand over to my financial planner. Post-tax or pre-tax? Pre. Pre-tax, okay. Yeah, pre. Um, you know, post-tax, I don't really think about because I just take the 30% that I put in the account and I pay my taxes. Right. So are you okay. finding that your clients are doing 30% to savings? Yeah. You are? All of all I mean, of my easy. clients that it's are working. Do, yeah, right? and, unless yeah. they're unless they're in a situation where if you're in startup mode, it's, it's a little bit different That's as far it. as... Yeah putting that all away. But for somebody who's in an established position, yeah, absolutely. And I, I run that report because income doesn't always change for people from quarter to quarter, but it will from year to year. Okay. And so I always have that on hand. And that's one of the reports that I look at to say, you know, cause you know, this is to, to take it into a, a different direction, just as far as old lessons always being true. I'm a historian as it relates to, to financial planning too, so I'll read all these old books. And one of them was called Grow Rich Slowly. And in there, they stated, as far as saving, you have to save more. First of all, that's just kind of a general <laughs> thing. You have to save tax-advantaged, right? So an easy way to get more savings is to do it in a pre-tax manner, 
right? right? And then you've got to save consistently. So for my clients to hit their 30% goal, what we'll do is I'll just say, okay, well, you're, the two of you are saving into 401ks at work. So that takes care of $41,000 of savings. And so I then take that off of their 30% goal because they're, they're going to be putting that away. I divide that remainder by 12 and I say, you're going to have a recurring contribution into your investment account every month for X amount. And that will get them automatically to 30% savings without them having to do anything. And when that money comes in, we invest it into appreciating securities that will give them financial independence rather than that money sitting in a bank account. Because if money sits in a bank account, it'll find a way to get spent. Mm-hmm. And that is... That's so true. Yeah. It'll just get spent on something. Yeah. And, and whether or not it's a good purchase, it, it will go to something. So is it like du- direct deposit into your... Not your account, but I'm assuming you're not spending my money. Is it <laughs> direct deposit into my investment account? Like every month is pulled out a percentage. Right. Okay. Yeah. So if it's if somebody's um, after-tax savings goal is going to be, let's just say, $240,000, right? If we're using this same example you And I don't up. make a million dollars. Then it would be... It'd don't be all 20, dentists make a million dollars yeah. here? Yeah. It would be 20000 20, a month. Okay. Right. Because at, at that point, if you're really reaching that level of a savings goal, then you are in that million dollar plus range. And so, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's automatic. So it's not something where you have to say, oh, it's the first of the month. I've got to send twenty thousand dollars to my investment account. It's pulled in. And so whether somebody's monthly contribution, if they're maybe just starting out, will be five or six thousand. It could grow to, to 10, 15. We have some at 20, 25 and that's a really great way just to say, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So the cash has to be there for the investments. And as, as long as it's coming into the account and growing over the course of time, it's one, not being spent. Yeah. And then two, it's becoming larger and compounding. And that gives you the ultimate financial security soon enough. So while we may be you know, aggressive in the sense of setting big savings goals, the clients are nothing but appreciative when they get a few years down the road. Oh, and they go, sure. I can't believe how big this account has gotten. Yeah. You know, and they're, they're still loving life. They're living the same lifestyle. Everything is fine. And if they want to make big purchases and be a big spender, that's fine. As long as they're hitting that 30% goal. Have you read the book Profit First? I have not, but I heard you mention it on a podcast that's, episode. He says the same thing. If money's in your pocket, in your bank account, it will find a way into a store, into a car. Yeah. You cannot save it. The money that you don't want to spend has to be somewhere else in a bank account. Absolutely. Yeah. It's And there's always deals on Amazon, right? There's always uh, yeah. guitars to buy and cars to buy and boats to buy. And, and I think one of the important things is when we look at somebody's personal financial situation, there's there are good assets to have and there's bad assets to have, right? Bad assets, they depreciate in value. Good assets appreciate in value. There's good types of debt to have. A mortgage allows you to build equity in a home. The interest is deductible. It's generally low interest. That's a good type of debt. Credit card debt, where they're dinging you with 25% APR on the interest rate, you know, that's that's crazy. That's a very bad form of debt. And so I think even within somebody's own assets, liabilities, income and expenses, you can make some really simple changes that result in huge results down the road, especially for a young dentist, young physician, young business owner. It's the it's the butterfly effect. 
of asset growth. Wait, what's the butterfly effect? Butterfly effect meaning just one change, one difference in what happens now creates a, a whole new reality into oh. the future, right? Do you like know that? Isn't, isn't the butterfly effect um, like monarchs flapping their wings in South America can cause wind disturbances in Australia, that type of thing? Ex- like Exactly. One yeah. very... You ever heard that? I feel like the dumbest person in this room right now. No. <laughs> well, I'll think of it Hang this on a way. a second. We're just going to... Yeah. Yeah. If, <laughs> if you would have stepped out a second earlier into the street when a car was passing by yeah. and you got your legs smashed, yeah. that would change your entire trajectory of your life. I wouldn't have to be a dentist. I could be a financial <laughs> advisor. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know, you know, the, so the, you know, I'm, I'm misquoting it, obviously. I don't know where, but that's, that's the idea. There is a movie called The Butterfly Effect. Is it Ashton Kutcher in there? Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really good. Yeah. That's a really, and then Sliding Doors, you know, that's another one with Gwyneth Paltrow. I thought where, you were going to say you were a, a, a small acting role in the movie. Oh, Butterfly. oh I wish. <laughs> yeah. You're handsome. You keep pulled off. Thank you. Thank you. So if you could save 30% of pre-tax income, it's hard to answer. Say my financial goals to have, I don't know how to ask, $10 million in the bank. How long would I have to invest that to get financial freedom? Or what are your, this is a better question, what are your clients saying is financial freedom to them? So financial freedom is getting to a place where your investment income exceeds, is either at or exceeding what your, your total monthly spending goal is to have on an after-tax basis. So okay. if you just say, I'll use a you know round number here. Somebody's monthly spending goal is $7,500 a month when they're in retirement because they don't have any kids anymore. They live a simple life and that's, that's what they want to have. They need to have about $10,000 of investment income per month, which would be about $120,000 of investment income per year. And then you can back that out to say, you know, if you took 120,000 and said, you know, a prudent amount to distribute from your financial assets would be you know, 5% per year, 4% per year, you could back into exactly what number you would need. So I can't, I'm not smart enough to do that math off the top of my head, but normally for people, once they reach, if you reach $10 million in financial assets, that's, that's pretty good. Then I would say your money is making enough money to support you at that point. Yeah. Right? If, if you have a 10% year and you have $10 million in assets, you just made a million dollars, Yeah. which, which is ridiculous. And so if you, make 5%, you still made half a million dollars without doing anything. Is 5%, it's, I know you can't guarantee returns. Sure. Whoever's listening to this. Um, <laughs> is for, is 5% us, reasonable? Can. <laughs> is it, yeah, 5% would be a, a conservative number to put on, okay. on investment returns. So okay. one of the common numbers people will use is 7% when they talk about mm-hmm. these things. I always hear 7%. Yeah, and people use that too because there's an there's an easy moniker that you can use. It's, it's the rule of 72, meaning that if you put hundred thousand dollars into an investment and it made 7.2 percent every single year it would double every 10 years the so investment you have okay. exactly so it become two hundred thousand and then four hundred thousand and eight hundred thousand and every 10 years it would double and so even if you do that math backwards there's if money grows at 10 percent per year which would be you know more aggressive uh stock-based purely you know growth investment then the money doubles every 7.2 years. Okay. So, so that's why it's really important for when I'm looking at a situation, I have to say how much of a career does this client have left? If they've got 30 years of a career left, then you can afford to take more risk and have more allocated to equities and, and growth positions. If somebody has five years left, 
then you really have to tamp down what that risk is. And they have to, they have to look at uh, investment returns just on an estimated basis of probably, you know, five to 6%. They can't, they can't have everything in the market because if something happens like the start of this year where the market, you know, measured by the S and P 500 drops 22, 23% at one point, And it's since come up a little bit. Um, There will probably be a little bit more volatility this year, I would say. Um, But nonetheless, if they take that right before retirement and 23% of their assets were gone, then they're not going to feel so good about being able to generate that investment income to fund their expenses. Or they can't retire. Right. Or they say, well, I got to, you know, work another year. I got to do something else. And, you know, there's always rebounds that will occur and, and the market will always bounce back. But yeah, it's people don't want to have that stress and that anxiety. So we help them. We worry for them as effectively, you know, what we say, right, is that we want to be the ones that guide you through this because it's different based on your age. It's different based on the level of your assets and, and what you want to spend. So getting back to your initial question, if somebody has a huge spending goal on a monthly basis, they have to build up way more in financial assets to mm-hmm. achieve that in the future, which means they should be hitting this. plus goal yeah in the here and now okay did you get this education when you were younger no 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 i can't believe no that you should be lecturing in dental school yeah (laughs) you should yeah you definitely should because people just don't especially in dental school you go from making no money to making decent money yeah and and people just go spend crazy i remember i got my first everyone shows up with bmw check for six thousand (laughs) dollars my first year out and I spent all that money immediately. And then my dad was like, how much you put away for taxes? And I'm like, what? <laughs> You're like, taxes aren't real. Taxes for a dentist. <laughs> um, that's like, great. What'd you, what'd you spend it on? Like stupid shit. Like like drones. What's a drone? Like this guy. Yeah. No, no, I don't know. So I want to pivot just a little bit. Sure. Um, tell us how, what you ate today. <laughs> yeah, I've I've eaten nothing today. Nothing. Just uh I've had some black coffee and water. Okay. And uh I am on the intermittent fasting plan. How long so have you been doing this for? I've been doing it strictly for probably about two years and I was testing it in the year before that. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's been a huge benefit to me. I think you know, I would I would listen to different podcasts and they would talk about the the benefits of intermittent fasting, which is just really not getting a huge sugar high in the morning and then coming mm-hmm. down. Um, so by holding off on the food and still consuming the same amount of calories, but in a, a shorter window, um, I actually have noticed that it's it helps my sleep. Oh, really? And yeah, and I'm an early riser too. So in the morning, I don't have to spend the time making breakfast first of all, but um, I don't really ever tire out in the morning ever because I I'll have my coffee. Yeah. I don't have any sort of come down. And even when I eat lunch, I try to keep it pretty light and then I'll do a snack and I'll have dinner, normally a pretty big dinner. And yeah, I'll, I'll cut it off by about 7 PM. So I normally don't eat until afternoon and then I'll stop sometime around seven or before if I can. And I've noticed that that's made a huge, huge impact in my health. Okay. Which, which I track my sleep religiously with my whoop band, which I, I shared uh, <laughs> with you, the idea of, of maybe picking one up. And if I look at, you know, the numbers that come across that when I measure my sleep, when I measure, you know, how hard I can push myself in the gym or when I go on a run, um, 
sleep is really the number one variable for health, in my opinion. I, I'm not a doctor. I totally agree. I'm not a doctor either. Um, how was your sleep? <laughs> Good. Yeah. Good. I mean, I have I have sleep issues occasionally, but I, I mean, generally I sleep very hard for like eight hours. Okay. And then I'm up, but I'm an early riser too, so six o'clock. I also run in the morning a lot. So you're, you're a runner too, right? I do. Yeah. Okay. I, I ran the, um, I ran the 2018 Detroit marathon oh, nice. and since that time I've never breached five miles. So okay. that, that, you know, 26.2 was enough for me. That to was it. Yeah. yeah I'm, I, my frame is probably a little bit bigger than your, you know, person that loves to run marathons. And okay. so I didn't want the stress on my knees. So I'll still go for three to five mile runs. I've got a Peloton and then our office is right near Lifetime Fitness. So oh, yeah, that's really nice. Uh, Dr. Chad Spears, just on here before you at 10 in the morning, runs ultra marathons, 100 miles. Wow. In the, mount- in the mountains. In the mountains. Yeah, that's something, you know, I, I appreciate and love the people that can do that. But yeah. It's but probably you, outside my wheelhouse. You guys have similar personalities, and maybe you'll agree about this. It sounds like you're also always trying to improve. And you know that if your health isn't at top performance, you probably suffer in business as well. 100%. Okay. Have you always been this way? I have. I actually, at my wedding, my brothers got up and made a speech and they talked about how I was always tweaking my diet. I lived with my little brother for a while when I was single. And then my older brother and I actually both played college sports. So we've always kind of been into it, but yeah, I've, for whatever reason, always been fascinated by it. And I think I'm constantly trying to just find what the next best thing to do is. Right now, I'm trying to focus on meal prepping and not eating out really at all if I don't have to. Um, But yeah, as far as my personal life is concerned, I I take my health very, very seriously. And um, business-wise, it's something where people don't think of being a financial advisor as being a physical job, but you're, you're presenting and you're you know, making a point and you're doing all this research and you're on the phone with somebody or you're presenting in front of a group or you're either on Zoom or in person. And so there are a lot of physical aspects to it. And I just try to say, if I want to be my best on the job, if I want to do the best I can professionally, I have to be at the top of my game physically. And it's just, it's like a dentist too. I mean, it's, it's a physical, that that's actually a physical profession much more so than mine, but if you're in the right space mentally and physically, then when you come in here and you're with a patient, you're not worrying about these distractions that don't matter. You're focusing on what matters, which is the patient in front of you. So I don't ever want to be somebody that has um, an issue that I could have prevented um, by doing something differently. So I I think, you know, being successful in, in anything requires an equal amount of doing great at the fundamentals and, and knowing all that, but also avoiding the pitfalls, like not doing the wrong things better than other people. So yeah. that's kind of how I see it from a health standpoint is I just want to take away issues in the future by, by doing the right thing today. Okay. So me and Jessica were trying to plan out like the four tenets of our podcast. And one of them we agreed on was self-improvement and health in general. And we think too, like for a dentist, you don't have to be like a professional athlete. If you throw your back out, you slept really poorly or eat really shitty, you can't perform the next day. And your yeah. job is the same way. And I think too with the fasting, you know, you, people talk about that you don't eat until dinner. So I fast during the middle of the day. So I get up in the morning, I have like fruit, avocado toast, like all that, a lot of food in the morning. And that's it until about eight o'clock. 
Wow. Yeah. So I don't eat anything during the day. So like a lot of times people will say, you want to do business over lunch? I'm like, let's grab coffee. Like I never want to like, because if I eat lunch, then I'm just tired. And You'll have the like, come down at three it's or over. Four. Yeah. So I, so I, I do that. And, um, but in the morning it's like, I want food right away. So it's still <laughs> fasting, but it's yeah. just like a different, a different type. And somebody, I think, I don't know who I learned that from, but they say never eat when I'm working. And I was like, Ooh, that's good. I started doing it when I was practicing dentistry. I never ate at the During office. The day. Yeah. No. I would only, you know, breakfast before I came in and then nothing I'd leave, go home dinner. So Chris, you're probably trying to hit a certain amount of hours, like 16 or 18 hours. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm hitting normally 17, sometimes 18 hours, hours of, of fasting. Uh, if it's a, if it's kind of a crazy day and I have a bunch of afternoon meetings, sometimes I'll start at 1130 or 1145 and then I'll try to, I'll try to stop eating sometime around 645 or seven. Um, but yeah, I like to, I like to do it from 16 or, or more. Yeah. And I, I totally agree. I think it's, it's a really underrated part of life is focusing on health. And, and Lisa and I, Lisa's my wife, we just took, uh, Sophia, our new baby into the, the pediatrician. And my wife's also a pediatrician by trade. And I was walking out and I, I asked a question of, should I be looking at a new primary care physician because the one that I go to it's more of like something's wrong mm -hmm. and I have to go and see them like you know whether it's allergy related or I'm having you know a really bad continual sore throat or whatever it is something's wrong and I go to see them I want somebody who's like me in the sense of how I deal with my clients of like hey let's be preventative proactive why don't you yeah, yeah come in here yeah. we'll do we'll get your blood every year and maybe it's maybe that's overboard but I think in our country and, and even amongst professions, it's a huge issue because if you don't focus on your health, that yeah. affects mentally how much you can focus and concentrate and, and perform your job. So if I'm tired and, and right now it's, you know, my sleep hasn't been all that great just because I've got a two week old baby oh, yeah. girl, um, <laughs> a, a but, screamer. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, even last night, um, this app rates your, your sleep from zero being the worst to a hundred being the best. Still managed to get into the 80s, which was awesome, even though I was up for, you know, so two and a half So are you hours. rating the sleep or is, like, is your Whoop watch giving data to this website? Yeah, it gives data to an app on your phone so you can look it up and see exactly, you know, what, what your sleep was, what your resting heart rate was. And so that's an important part of intermittent fasting is that the, the sooner you stop eating, then the less your body has to digest the food once you go to sleep, meaning it can focus on repairing and recovering everything that happened during the day. And that's when I, you know, the app has really changed my, my outlook on health. And that's the huge piece of it is I can just say this habit is not good for me. Eating a giant egg bowl with avocado and, and toast at 10 p.m. is probably going to mean that I'm going to have a really bad sleep, like a 20% yeah. sleep. If I do that, if I eat that same meal, but I just do it at 6.30, then I'm going to have an amazing sleep. I'm going to wake up the next day and be ready to go at 5.30. And feel good. That's so right. true. Yeah. I have to stop eating three or four hours before I go to bed. And like you, my sleep is completely different. If I'm eating like even the healthy food at 10 p.m., I still feel like shit the next morning. Yeah. it's And the, the sugars too. If I, if I know I'm going to have ice cream on the weekend, then I'll take little Charlie, my son in the stroller and we'll go downtown and I'll have it at 1 PM. Mm -hmm. 
or 2 p.m. Yeah. Versus, yeah, late, late at night where it's huge rush, kind of impacts everything. So, yeah, definitely. It's, uh, and that's the cool piece, getting back to what I said. I mean, I think health is just as much, you know, working out and eating healthy most of the time as much as it is avoiding, you know, eating way late at night, eating, you know, bad foods. And so I think that's, that's been a perspective I've gained over the last two years is like, let's avoid the bad things in addition to like getting out there and, and working out all the time yeah. and, and doing the right things. Yes. So this is not politically correct, but the book called everything is marketing. He talks about the way you look. If you look healthy, that's a marketing piece. So if you look like a slob, less people want to do business with you. I don't, I don't think that's not politically correct. Well, I, I, I was going to say something different, but I think we're drawn to attractive people. Just that's just human nature. I mean, we're drawn to people who have shiny hair and good skin and they look healthy and, and everybody likes a beautiful person. Right. I yeah. mean, so I, yeah, that is marketing. You're marketing yourself. Yeah. I, I think so. Don't you? I completely agree. And- I work hard to stay in shape. I mean, it's, it's yeah. not, oh, you're so, you know, people say you're so lucky. It's like, well, I get up at five 30 and I run seven miles like most days. So yeah. I'm lucky. I have a work ethic. I'm lucky. To, yeah. To, to yeah. Get out exactly. and do it. yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I have a mentor who is a financial advisor and I, I like to learn from people that have been in the business for, for a long time. It's something that I try to focus on. And, and I joined a call with him. It was probably 18 months ago. And this guy, always a tie, always mm-hmm. crisp white shirt. And I joined and it was a day where I had client meetings in the morning and I had to come back for something with, I think there was an appointment with Lisa. So I had on a, um, just a jet, like a zip up or a quarter zip jacket, um, a black one. And the first thing, you know, it was the first time he and I spoke, I get on and he goes, just really quick, is, is that what you wear? every day to work. And I go, Oh man, I go, no, it's not, it's not what I wear every day to work. It's kind of an off day. Right. Um, and he goes, I never come to work or take a call with anyone if I don't have my shirt and tie on. And that's something that you should think about when, you know, you're, you're joining a call because a client does care. Yeah. If you show up looking good, that's telling your client, Hey, I care about you. It's respectful. Yeah. And oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's something where he would even say, and he's one of the biggest financial advisors in the country. And he would say, yeah, the world has changed. Things have become more informal, but it's, it's absolutely true. So since that, that day, I always, I'm looking at my calendar to see who am I meeting with? Mm-hmm. What am I doing? And what's the appropriate dress code? So even today, I don't really wear ties all that often, but I'll wear a jacket and a nice shirt and, because I think it is, it's showing the people that you're with, hey, I, I do care about you. And you know, I'm taking this seriously. Yeah. Like right. I always wear, when I meet with clients, I always wear a blazer. I always wear, I mean, I rare, like you'll rarely see me in jeans. I just don't wear those unless I'm, you know, it's, that's really casual, but, but yeah, I think it's respectful and it, it makes you, it makes people take you more seriously too. For sure. It sets the mood for think? sure. If you walk yeah. with sweatpants and a wife beater on. Like, oh God, this guy's some people like that's their shtick. You know, I work with a couple like commercial realtors are notorious for that. You know, they'll come into, they'll show a building and they walk in and cut off shorts and a raggedy t-shirt and, you know, they do lots of business and they're kind of like, 
they're almost arrogant about it. Like, oh, I don't have to get dressed. And, yeah. And I'm standing there in my blazer with my, you know, and it's like, it doesn't look good. No. It's old fashioned, maybe mentality, but I don't, I don't care. Like my grandma said you could never be overdressed. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I dress up. <clears throat> yeah. I think it gives you a little pep in your step too. It does. If, if you get ready in the morning and you know, every profession is different. I mean, you're everyday gear that you come in here and see patients with. I mean, that's going to be the same for really every dentist that's out there. Right. So for us, it's much more variable. I, I could come in really in whatever I want and, and yeah. are people really going to care? I mean, generally speaking, I don't think it would make, it makes a difference as far as would they leave me as a client? I don't think so. But when I get ready and I have a jacket on and a nice shirt, where we have um, team vests that we have from Arcteryx, which are really cool, mm-hmm. and they have our logo on them. Um, I can look in the mirror, and I just feel better. Like, you know, yeah. I've put in preparation. Just like after you work out, you feel better. Mm-hmm. After, you know, I get dressed up for something, I, I walk in, and I've just got more confidence. And, yeah, it's probably a, an old primal thing. I don't know what causes it's, that, it's but it's, it's true. I feel the same way. Well, okay. yeah. yeah, you feel better when you're dressed up. What do you wear to work? Do you wear scrubs? I wear scrubs. How do you show up to work? Do you just show up in scrubs? No. <laughs> <laughs> in the summertime, yes. Okay. In the wintertime, so, it's so too try, cold. So try this. I tell people this, and um, my sister does it now, and sh- and they love it. And so put on, dress up, and then come here and change into scrubs. And change it, in front of my staff. Yeah, right. In front of your pa- in front of your patients. <laughs> Done. Yeah, in front of your patients. That's, that's the marketing yeah. that's missing. But yeah. seriously, so if you get up, and I'm I'm talking like kind of casual you know casual business wear but if you put on like dress pants you know a shirt and a blazer like not as dressed up as as you but but close and then you come in and you change that's what I used to do and it was such a difference because it went from leaving my house in scrubs I'm already like slumped over in the car to I leave the house in like a blazer a suit you know and then I go to work I change into scrubs and when I leave I'm back in the suit so I'm like a professional going in, working and out. It makes a difference. I'll have to try it. Try it. Try it for a week. I was given a piece of <clears throat> piece of advice to not wear scrubs every day because if you start to get fat, you won't know. Like put on a pair of jeans like once a week. Well, if you but if you put dress clothes on, you're fine. In yeah. and out, you can't. I'll never yeah. get fat again. Yeah. So Chris, let me ask you this: um, other than saving thirty percent, what are the successful dentists doing? they're financially successful that the other dentists are not doing hosting podcasts hosting podcasts (laughs) (laughs) i think i think the successful dentists that i work with all share a a continual improvement like like you mentioned as far as their practice is concerned so i know the way that you collect is different than a lot of dentists as far as the insurance plans etc but looking at the practice as a whole and taking the time to sit down you know for an entire day on a saturday or on a friday and looking at you know what's the percentage that I'm collecting on this? Is this going to be profitable for me? Is this, does this insurance plan make sense? Um, Am I doing the right thing from a marketing standpoint? Am I telling my patients that I am accepting new business and I would love any referral? Is there a personalized touch to where you know their first name, you remember their kids? Um, I think it's, like in uh, office space, there's that great scene where Jennifer Aniston's the uh, waitress and the manager comes over and talking about the flair that she <laughs> yeah. has to be wearing. She's just like, and, yeah. And, uh, you know, he says, you know, the only difference between ordinary and extraordinary is that little <laughs> extra. 
And, and I think, <laughs> you know, I compare great dentists and physicians and business owners to athletes. And to get there, to, to be a dentist or to be a physician or to be a business owner, you already have a level of skill. You've got a level of education. Everyone, just to, to clear that hurdle, is already at a certain level. So you're competing with people on that plane. What's the difference between you and the next guy? Are you better at the fundamentals? Do you have a, a better service offering? Is there something where you can differentiate yourself in the market so that on the incoming side, you've got more, more patients coming in and more profitable patients with the right kind? And then from the practice management side, you're running it in a way that's constantly, you know, you talk about, you know, the profit book that you read. And, and I listened to a podcast where you mentioned it. Are you getting enough margin out of your practice? Because it really doesn't matter how much top line revenue you have if all of that's going away in your expenses. I mean, you could have $2 million coming in, but if you have $1.9 million of expenses, then right. is that really worth your time? I mean, how much is your time worth if you were to take what actually comes to you in income divided by the number of hours that you put in here? How do you, how do you boost that up? And that's by f focusing on you know, the internal parts of your practice and, and continually making that better and more efficient. And then also on the other side of that, when you're competing against everybody else in the marketplace, you know, are you pushing yourself? Are you getting better? Are you better at the fundamentals? And then are you marketing at a level of, you know, whether it's through your patients and asking for referrals? Um, are you better at doing that as well? And I think that's what separates the best business owners and physicians and dentists from the others is those that are willing to, you know, be shameless and, and doing the things that really matter. And, and a book that I read that presents this in a very great way would be the 80-20 rule. So 20% of the things that you do give you 80% of the results, right? The, the things that you can really do the best and focus on, right, that are going to make the big results, like that's where you should be spending your time. Because there's stuff that you can be doing around here. I mean, you could do all the vacuuming and you could you could clean everything and you could be doing, you know, whatever, hygiene work. You, you're, or you're more Yeah. <laughs> but but if you if you focus on what truly matters, getting in front of the patients and and doing the right things, that's where the growth comes um, for everybody, including in my own business. Yeah. Right? Which is why I wrote the manifesto to say, you know, what's important about what I do and it's being in front of clients largely, and then a, a sm much smaller portion of being in front of prospective clients. I need to write a manifesto. Yeah. Do you That's have one? No, I'm just use Chris's. And we should do <laughs> I'll copy that. Um, just switch out a couple words. Well, we're actually, I can't believe it. It's been an hour. Wow. Um, this has been amazing. That flew. This leads into like the perfect last question, which I'm always trying to get better at. What's one takeaway, like a piece of financial advice you would want to give to dentists? The piece of financial advice, I would say build an all-star team of advisors around you. And I'm not just saying that because I am an advisor, but I'm saying that because you have a specialty. What you're meant to do is to be sitting with patients, getting them great outcomes on the care that you provide, right? So you're not a tax planning specialist. You're not an estate planning specialist. You're not an investment specialist or a financial planning or insurance specialist. So if you really want to see a quantum leap in your success financially, then you have to have a team of people around you, including a CPA, an attorney, a financial advisor, et cetera, that are working together to move you in the right direction. Because the way that you help your patients stay accountable and give them tips and bring them in and care for them, you need to have somebody doing that for you. 
And uh, like I mentioned before, if you abandon the the no plan lifestyle, that that alone right there will will be a major improvement. But building out the team is is what I would say is is the best because even you know guys like Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Tom Brady, they have teams of ten to twelve people around them doing all sorts of things: nutrition, finance, investments, tax, um, skills coaching. And these are the people that are the best in the world at what they do, but they have that mindset of continual improvement. So if you don't have a team around you that's keeping you accountable, then you're missing out and you got to make hay while the sun shines because nobody is going to guarantee you that all these, the revenue that's currently entering your practice will be there forever. That's so true. Yeah. What you're making today isn't guaranteed what you're going to make next year. Not at all. Yeah. And there's been a lot of, falls from grace where you could probably find it in the dental world, you, you know, to take it back to athletes, Mike Tyson made $400 million over the course of his career. Yeah. And he went bankrupt. Bit one ear. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's, who would have thought? Know, yeah. That's the point <laughs> is that you got to, you have to do the right things right. And you have to avoid doing the wrong things too. And, and having a good solid team of advisors around you, that's an automatic way to make it better. Yeah. That's like perfect. That's like the best last answer. That's great advice. Wow. Yeah. Um, really good. So let's end on this. And me and Jessica talked before and said, we should have asked you this. The first question, where can people find you? What's your phone number? What's your social security number? No. Um, <laughs> how can people contact you to start investing with you? Yeah. So, uh, my email address is, is Chris dot Nemus. It's N as in Nancy E M as in Mary E S as in Sam at Nemus rush.com. Uh, Nemus rush.com is our website and my cell number is two, four, eight, nine, two, one, one, four, four, one. So they can contact me at any of those areas. The, you can just also search my name. It, it'll come up on, on Google. We have a nice website and, so yeah, I would, you know, anyone who's in the the dental field who's running a practice and, you know, they've got some complex planning needs, which is true of all dentists, I would, yeah. you know, love to be a resource and and thank you for uh allowing me to do that quick plug. Oh, thanks for coming yeah, on. Yeah. We could not be so more grateful. Anything yeah. to add? No, thank you so much for your time. It's yeah. very nice to meet you. Then one final question. Can we have you back on? Absolutely. He said yes. Absolutely. Wow. Most people say no. They Are we two it. for two? The first one was a little hesitant. He was a maybe. <laughs> um, well, Chris, you're an inspiration. When I grow up, I'm going to be like you. And uh, I'll see you next Friday, actually. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Signing off. to it. All right. Have a good night. Yeah. Bye. Chris, that was amazing. That was good. Oh, yeah. Thank you. That went so fast. Yeah. I can't believe that was an hour. I thought it was like 20 20- Well, there you have it. Another great episode of Toothpaste, the podcast, the other side of dentistry. Please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to our YouTube channel for more content. And if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, please reach out to us on Instagram at toothpastepodcast or email us at toothpastepodcast at gmail.com.